I'm talking about the truth because there's only one truth and that truth comes from the one who gives it. There's only one lawgiver, only one. He's the one who established the law for his creation. You ain't created nothing. You may have procreated something, but you ain't created nothing. You don't write no laws for his creation. He writes the laws. And who are you to say you don't have to keep his laws? That's defiance against the creator. That's rebellion. That's a hard-hearted, stiff-necked individual whose heart is so hard they're going to do what they want to do and look to him to bless their mess. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Sin is defined by the New Testament writing of 1 John 3, 4, Whosoever committed sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. The law of Jehovah covered every aspect of the Hebrew Israelites' life from conception to the grave. Jehovah gave the Hebrew Israelites the greatest set of instructions and laws that no other nation had. These laws were to govern Israel and teach them the ways of Jehovah as a free people. Jehovah gave his laws to a free people to prevent them from ever going into bondage again. Death was a form of bondage, according to Proverbs 22.7, the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. In this portion of Matthew, Yeshua gives clear step-by-step instructions on how to deal with the brother who sins against us based on the law of Jehovah. Yeshua then connects a parable and the law of Jehovah to illustrate the importance of forgiving each other in relations to how we can expect to receive forgiveness from Jehovah. The message title in this podcast is Sin, Death, and the Law. So, let's study. We know that sin is defined in the New Testament. Now, the thing about sin in the Old Testament or in the Torah, it's really not defined. There's a word that deals with sin, a word, trespass, sin. And you can look up those words in the Hebrew and you could derive a definition based on the Hebrew word. But the disciple of Yeshua actually define sin, not necessarily to where you got to go and look up the Hebrew or look up the Greek. But he simply said, John in his writing in first John chapter three says, whosoever commits sin transgress the law. Why? For sin definition is the transgression of the law. So when the church talk about sin absent of the law, Do they have an understanding of what they're talking about? Because people now put sin in various categories and give those things they identify as sin that may have nothing to do with sin. In some of the Pentecostal circles that you've been in, they tell you drinking is a sin. There's no place in the Bible that tells you drinking is a sin. Now, some people don't like me saying that. They don't. Because they've already classified it as a sin. Drunkenness is a sin. Not drinking. 
In fact, there are places, I mean, even in that, when Paul tells, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Now, this is New Testament, right? Well, is Paul telling Timothy to sin? According to their doctrine, he is. And so we have to be careful that our definitions, because we're going to see this even in here, that our definitions are not definitions we ascribe, but which the Almighty defines. And here, sin is the transgression of the law. What law? The law of Jehovah. So the law of Jehovah covered every aspect of the Hebrew Israelite's life. There's no aspect of the Hebrew Israelite's life that the law did not cover. From conception to the grave, Jehovah gave the Hebrew Israelites the greatest set of instructions and laws that no other nation had. Now, understand something. Israel was nowhere near the first nation. In fact, long before there were an Israel, there were Egypt. We know before there was an Israel, there was Canaan. We know that in Abraham's day, there was a war that encompassed five kingdoms and against four kingdoms. That's nine, nine more nations. There are plenty of nations in the Bible long before Israel was established as a nation. When the Almighty established Israel as a nation, all these other nations, they had kings, they had laws, they had rules that governed them in that kingdom. The Almighty says, listen, there is no other nation that has laws as righteous, as holy as the laws I'm going to give you. Why? Because there is no other holy nation. Israel was to be the first holy nation that can literally claim its royalty after the creator himself. He invited Israel to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, and then gave them laws that were so holy that the laws that he gave them enabled them not only to come into his presence, but for his presence to dwell in the midst of them. These laws were not given to them in Egypt. They were not slaves when he gave them the law. They were free. And the contingency contained in the law is that if you want to maintain your freedom, honor these laws. Because the moment you stop honoring the laws that came from the one who set you free, you go into bondage. You start serving something and someone else. You stop serving the one who gave you the commands. You're serving someone else when you violate, ignore, or reject the commands that the Holy One gave you. If you reject the commands that the Holy One gave you that is designed to not only make you holy and keep you holy, then you cease to be holy. You cannot be holy apart from the laws and the commands that came from the Holy One that make you a holy people. Jehovah gave his laws to a free people to prevent them from ever going into bondage again. 
Debt was a form of bondage. According to Proverbs 22, 7, the rich ruleth over the poor and the borrower is what? A slave to the lender, a servant. And we're going to see this play out in this passage. In this portion of Matthew, Yeshua gives step-by-step instructions on how to deal with the brother who sins against us based on the law of Jehovah. Yeshua then connects a parable and the law of Jehovah to instruct or to illustrate the importance of forgiving. And this, brothers and sisters, is a mindset and a mentality. Now, understand, it's hard, virtually impossible in some ways to forgive someone who hasn't repented. I'm going to point this out. You can say, well, I forgave you when you did it. Well, that's lip service. People give a lot of lip service. Because, see, when you forgive someone, you treat them as if there's no issues with you. You treat them. You're honest with them. You can speak to them and be clear in your communications. And that requires love. Today, we live in a society where people lie to each other all the time. They are more focused and interested in being nice than being truthful. The truth does hurt, but I would rather hurt from hearing the truth than to be told a lie and to come to find out that you lied and it causes hurt because now that type of hurt diminishes trust. You don't just have a a hurt issue. You don't just have a forgiveness issue. You've got a trust issue and trust is hard to overcome because a brother who's been offended. It's easier to overtake a fortified city. The Bible says than to win that person because once a person know that you have lied to them, it's hard for them to believe what you say going forward. Even when they cry and groan with those big, as they say, alligator tears. The passage we're about to study is one of the most neglected set of instructions given by Yeshua to the body of Messiah. And I say this because rarely have you ever seen what is about to be revealed ever done among an assembly. It's a rare occasion. If you haven't read, and and we put this teaching out, Offended and Offending, we've got it both in DVD form and in book form. Now, those of you who know that we established Hebrew Roots University, And we received our accreditation after we went through a process for the accreditation. The president who came to do the interview and the on-site visit, as we were going through the library, he pulled this book out of all the books we we have and all the DVDs we have. He pulled this book out and asked me, could he buy it? And I'm thinking to myself, why this book of all books? Well, I know why. I knew why when we did it. Because even when we taught this teaching, I taught that it's one of the most neglected. Most people don't know how to do what we're about to see here. Or let me put it this way. They know how to do it. They just won't do it. And the question is why? 
And this is why you have so many offended people in the churches, in the body, even under the same roofs. And let me tell you this while I'm at it. Offended people offend. Some of the greatest offenses you experience in your life come from someone who's carrying offenses. Offended people defile. They will practically defile everybody they come in contact with. Why? Because they've been defiled. They've got issues. They've got hurts. They've got distrust issues. They see everything as suspicious. Everything is a conspiracy. They can't trust nothing, can't trust no one. And you cannot be part of the body of Messiah without being able to trust. Verse 15, moreover, if your brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. One of the most popular statements among church folks is don't judge. Don't judge. This is exactly what Yeshua is telling us to do. You have to not only be a judge, but you have to be able to conduct a trial. And then you have to be the jury in the trial. So you are judge and jury in this situation. And if it's done correctly, you win your brother. If it's not done correctly, you have a tendency to create greater offense, but also if done correctly doesn't necessarily mean your brothers go agree with you. The word moreover here is like a and in a sense. It's not the word and the Hebrew, but it's a conjunction. It connects verse 15 to the previous passage where Yeshua is talking about offending one of the little ones. It's better that a millstone be hung around your neck and cast into the sea. So he's continuing this frame of reference, but he's bringing it home to his disciples because now he's dealing with the issue in the past. In the previous verse, if we go over into Mark and Luke, we see that he's dealing with people in general. But in this particular passage, He's specific now. He's narrowing it, narrowing it down to the body of Messiah. He says, if your brother, this is a person that is either born under the same parental order that you were born in, or it could be the brother of a nation or the brother of an assembly, a congregation. He says, if your brother shall trespass, and that word, hamantano, it deals with sin. If your brother trespass or sin against you, go and do what? Tell. Now, this go and tell him his fault actually has to do with, you're not just going to say, hey, brother, you sinned against me. It's like, hey, brother, you sinned against me, and this is how you did it. This is what you did. Because in this process, your goal is to present your case. And you are to do it in such a way. In fact, Luke tells us in chapter 17, he says, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him. 
Oh, no, brother, we can't be doing all that. You know, hey, no problem. You just keep them at bay and don't want to deal with them anymore. You find yourself avoiding them. You see them in the supermarket, see them on the streets. You see them in the congregation. They sit on one side of the room. You sit on the other. If you know that they're going to be in an event, you don't show up. You just get in a mindset of an avoidance. And this is where most in the world is they avoid instead of confront. Passive aggression. And it doesn't get you anywhere because you carry unresolved issues. It's just one unresolved issue. And pretty soon you find yourself isolating and can't stand people, don't like people. Now, there's a lot of reasons why we do that, because sometimes I want to isolate. But my reason for isolating and somebody else's reason for isolating may be very, very different. It says, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear you, you have gained your brother. Now, as I said, this moreover connects this passage to the previous passage. In this statement, you're now about to conduct a trial where you are the judge and jury. And this is the first step in a process. You have judged a matter to be worthy of a trial between you and the brother who have sinned. As a jury, you have reached a verdict. And the way you know, the verdict is based on the response once you have shown him or her their fault. Some people you can show them and they will reject it. You know, I was just being me. If it hurts you, you know, that's, that's your issue. That ain't my issue. Well, brother, what you said, what you did, it offended me. And the offense is not based on my emotions, is not based on my feelings. Your offense was a violation of his word against me. See, you violated his word against me. Now, here's what a lot of Christians and, and so-called believers will do. Well, you know, if I sin, it's just between God and me. That's between God and me. Ain't got nothing. No, no. You, if you sinned against me, that is between you and I. Well, take it up with God. No, I'm taking it up with you. Now, if you don't want to hear it, I've done my part as a brother. I've come to you. I'm rebuking you. I'm showing you your fault based on what is written. And if you're not willing to deal with this, then we're going to have to take this matter to the next level. Because there's no way in the world I'm going to be celebrating the Almighty in His presence under the same roof as you, and we got an unresolved issue according to His Word. I'm not going to be a hypocrite like that. I'm not going to pretend that I'm serving Him and worshiping Him knowing that I got an alt in my heart. Like, He can't see that. You got issues in your heart in his presence, singing and praising and worshiping with unresolved issues like he can't see it and like he don't want to deal with it. You might not want to deal with it, but he wants to deal with it. Why? Because if he's going to get you where he wants you to be, he got to deal with the junk in you. If you don't allow him to deal with the junk in you, you will never 
get to the place that he has ordained. You will never walk in his perfect will. It won't happen. You'll be a fake, a hypocrite, a liar, a deceiver. We are to be doers of the word. If it sounds like I'm screaming, it's because I'm very passionate. I've been in this walk for over 30 years. And some of the stuff that I've seen and some of the stuff that I see is heartbreaking. I mean, it's very disturbing from the pulpit to the pew. Deeply disturbing. Living in a defiled land. This land is so defiled, it's pathetic. The kind of things that are permitted and allowed in the churches, in the synagogues, in the shuls, I mean, just just look at it. And folks are looking for leaders. Look at the leaders around us today, both in the political arena and in the religious arena. They don't know what they're doing. And you know how I know they don't know what they're doing? Because the blueprint is right here. This is the blueprint. The only hope, not just for America, but the only hope for Afghanistan for Israel, for Haiti, for Africa, for Europe, for Asia, for any continent, for any nation. The only hope is right here. And I'm not talking about some perverted Christian doctrine. I'm talking about the truth because there's only one truth and that truth comes from the one who gives it. There's only one lawgiver, only one. He's the one who established the law for his creation. You ain't created nothing. You may have procreated something, but you ain't created nothing. You don't write no laws for his creation. He writes the laws. And who are you to say you don't have to keep his laws? That's defiance against the creator. That's rebellion. That's a hard-hearted, stiff-necked individual whose heart is so hard they're going to do what they want to do and look to him to bless their mess. Let me calm down some. Verse 16, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. See, Yeshua is pulling this instruction straight from the Torah. In this passage, Yeshua expounds on the law and commandments about witnesses in a trial, in a court of law amongst the saints. See, you can quote all day long the Ten Commandments, do not bear false witness, while being a bearer of false witness simply by your lifestyle. How can you testify that you are a lover of God and your lifestyle is not a reflection of that love for him? How can you say you love him and not keep his commandments? The Bible says that if you say you love God and you don't keep his commandments, that makes you a what? a liar. And you got a whole bunch of people. In fact, there is literally around 3 billion people who have some kind of faith confession that is based on the word of Elohim who reject his law, but claim to love him. How can you say you love him and you don't keep his commandments? The last I checked, liars will not inherit the kingdom. Last I checked. And yet you have people who are adamant about grace, 
Can I tell you something? Grace purpose is to teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly and blameless in this present age. Grace is not just some willy nilly covering for anything you do. Grace purpose is to teach you and then you apply that grace and then you walk in that grace that is based on his teaching and now you can live under grace but grace is not against the law in fact grace comes through the law this is the whole point if you do this here's the remedy for it this is how you rectify your situation this is how you demonstrate your repentance He allows grace within the law to help you when you sin or break or violate his law unknowingly. And that's what this brother may have done, or it was intentional. So now I got to operate in grace, go to the brother, show him his fault. And if he hear me, we good. But if he don't take two witnesses, where's Yeshua getting this from? 19 Deuteronomy chapter 19 verses 15 and following one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity. Doesn't matter what it is for any iniquity. You can't just have one witness and that one witness may be you. I saw it. Okay. Or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth, at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. Now, if a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before Jehovah, before the priests and the judges. Now, when you talk about being a priest, then you're governing your tabernacle. Now you got to judge a matter. And what are you getting your judgment from? His word. Now you got to hold yourself and others. And see, there's the possibility that when you gather the witnesses to confront the brother or the sister, the witness may tell you you off. Because now you got to explain the issue. Well, now, brother, (laughs) I understand you gathered me here. And you can't be getting somebody to be a witness who don't know the law. So you shall take this matter before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. So now you got to investigate the matter. See, folks don't like you investigating. You got to investigate a matter. See, some of you all, if you listen to what is going on here, it'll help you understand me a little better because when it comes down to me, I try my hardest not to make assumptions. Even when I believe what I'm assuming is right. Cause there are times when we make assumptions and we, in our minds, we 100% right. It's like, how can you be 100% right? If you have not investigated a matter. A man's ways seem right in his own eyes. And think about it. 
How many times have you been wrong thinking you were right? Said the judge shall make diligent inquisition, the judges in this case, because there's two or three. (laughs) And behold, if the witness be a false witness and has testified falsely against his brother. So here it is. I go to this brother and then the brother says, no, man, that wasn't me. In fact, you got me wrong. You're judging me based on an assumption. You assumed that I looked at you a strange way, or you assumed that I said something that was derogatory or directed at you. I may have been looking in your direction, you see, but the person that I was looking at was behind you. And you already got an issue with me because for whatever reason, you didn't hear some chitter chatter. And now you see me looking at your in your direction with some disdain and you assume that I got an issue with you and now here you go, hey, you got a problem with me or something? What you looking at? It's like, I wasn't looking at you. You are looking at me. I saw you looking at me. I wasn't looking at you, brother. I was looking, well, see, it ain't really your business who I was looking at. I'm just telling you, I wasn't looking at you. Well, I know you had an issue with me because I just, you know, it's like, okay, well, why do you think I got an issue with you? I don't even know you. Oh, now you want to play. No, I don't want to play. I'm just being honest with you. So now you got an issue. You assume I'm lying. Well, I'm hiding. How do you resolve those kinds of issues? Because if you don't resolve them, guess what? There's bad blood between you and that person from that moment forward. It's like the, you don't even know why you don't like each other. You just don't, I don't like, I don't know why. It's just something about them. I don't know what it is, but it's just something about them. I just don't like them. <laughs> then shall you do unto him as he has thought to have done this unto his brother. This is the false witness. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you. See, this is the whole purpose. The reason why you're taking this step, this second step, is because you don't want the evil to be in the midst of your worship and praise. It's amazing how people can go into what they call praise and worship with all this stuff in them. And those which remain, see, once this is done, those which remain shall hear and do what? Fear and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. Because see, when you get into a place to where you know they're not going to tolerate this, then you know you're going to have to change your game. You're going to have to adjust yourself. There's folks who've gone from congregation to congregation, and everywhere they've gone and left, they've left a mess. They've defiled this place, and then they come over here, and they defile that place, and then they come over here, and they defile. And some congregations can't recover from their defilement. It just tears them up. He says, if you do these things, it's going to do what? Those around you, they're going to hear it because, you know, if you've taken two witnesses and and they know that you're not a person who's going to play with this thing, you're going to walk in it. So this is trial, judge, and jury number two, the two witnesses. You've taken the second step. Most people don't get to this point. Most people don't even take this step. They just take the offense and then live with that offense in them. 
The two witness second step, you take one or two with you your, to your brother who have sinned. And as a jury, you've reached a verdict. If he hears you, trial is over. But again, in this step, you may have to come to realize that you may be the one who is wrong. So now the, after the matter is investigated, you see, this is a trial. This is not some conversation. There's an inquisition. There's an inquiry. You're going to ask. You're going to seek out witnesses in order to do your job. When you think about the court system today, a jury has a serious responsibility. And the worst thing you as a juror can do is to draw a conclusion without fact. You got a premonition. You got a feeling. Because there's a lot of folks who are spending time on jury based on jury decisions only to be found later on that they never should have been convicted for that crime. And in some cases, the juries are stacked. There can't be bribery. There can't be favoritism. If you're going to judge a matter, you got to judge righteously because the very judgment you use is going to be used against you. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, he will reap. Verse 17, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the congregation, the assembly. But if he neglect to hear the congregation, the assembly, the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. It's like, man, now this is a serious matter. Because you've dealt with it, you've taken two witnesses, they come to find out that your case was a solid case, they still reject it. Because you know what you got here? You got a wolf in sheep's clothing. You got a wolf in sheep's clothing. Here's how you know you got a wolf in sheep's clothing. Because a sheep will know his voice. A sheep will hear his voice. A sheep will follow his voice, his instruction. A wolf ain't thinking about that. And what you've just done is you've just exposed someone in the midst of you. Now, notice Yeshua didn't say, put them out. He says, this is how you treat them. This is how you deal with them. Now you got the whole assembly. Well, you know, this, this person here, we used to call him a brother, but after he has rejected our judgment in this matter, we can no longer identify him as a brother. And it's not just a select handful of group of people over in a, in a room somewhere. This is the whole assembly. The whole assembly is supposed to witness this so that the whole assembly is on one accord. Have you ever seen that happen? Chances are you won't see it because oftentimes teachings like this and seeing it done once will create a fear in the hearts of people and that evil mess will not be named among you. There's some folks who don't fool with you because they know you ain't no joke. They just rather avoid you. And don't take offense. Don't, don't get bothered by that. Because your seriousness in your walk should drive away and keep away the riffraff. You don't want the riffraff in your space. Because they waste time. They waste emotion. They waste resources. So trial, judge, and jury, number three, you've taken the matter before the assembly. That's the third step. You take the matter before the assembly, and then you treat them as a heathen and a publican, and that means you stop associating with them. You have nothing to do with them. 
You shun them. What's the purpose? Paul would put it like this in a way. You turn them over to the devil. How are you turning somebody over to the devil? It's not you turning them over to the devil. They've turned themselves over to the devil. Why? Because the moment you reject the instructions of the Most High, who else you got to serve? You ain't serving him, so what other entity is there? And I say this to some of you mamas with your hard-headed chillings. They treat you any kind of way, and you, you, you still tolerate it. And, well, you know, that's my baby. That baby is going to cause you much heartache, more than that baby has already cost you. See, people have to come to a point to where they realize the nonsense that they are working ain't working. As long as they think they can get away with something, they're going to work it. If I can act like this and you still give me stuff, if I can act like this and you still do stuff for me, if I can act like this and I can still come in and out as I please, why would I change? It's getting me what I want. And as long as you're giving it, you're enabling that behavior even though you can't stand it. Why are you enabling something you can't stand? Why are you permitting something? Bind it. Tie it up. Cast it out. Well, brother, that's cruel. Well, you know, then, then Jehovah is cruel because these instructions don't come from me. I'm a fool if I treat his creation differently than he instructs me. Do I think my way is better than his? Am I going to get the results I want by rejecting what he say? Because according to what he say, if I want these results, I got to do it this way. How can I get those results doing it a different way than how he's instructed? I'm trying to free some of y'all. I really am. I know it sounds hard, but I'm trying to lose shit. I'm trying to get you out from underneath the bondage that you've put yourself in. The law is liberating. It is the perfect law of freedom. You cannot have perfect freedom without the perfect law. That's what James wrote. When we do as Yeshua commands, the issues are confronted and dealt with. When you deal with matters as a church and refuse, notice, now this church, I should have put the American church. When you deal with matters as the American church, you can put that in the PowerPoint and refuse to judge properly following the protocols instituted by the Lord, the church claimed to follow. Conflicts arise, offenses arise and are established, splits occur, and people leave with offenses that are never resolved, defiling people and congregations wherever they go. How can saints be up in church fighting? Unless you know you ain't dealing with saints here. There's something in it. It ain't no saint. Because those who know his voice is not going to allow themselves to be maneuvered into that type of position to where they will be operating in that type of mindset and mentality. The true saints, you know what they're going to do? They're going to say, hold it, man, calm down. Hold it. Can we talk about this? Oh. Y'all insist. Y'all want to rip each other's heads off. You don't want to listen to reason. Then all I can do is just shake the dust and keep it moving. May the best fool win. If there's such a thing as winning. 
because that usually leads people wanting. Nobody wins. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of Elohim. How do you fail at the grace of Elohim? How do you fail of the grace of Elohim? Why? Because grace teaches you. If you don't learn from what grace teaches you, then you fail the lesson. Grace teaches you to deny ungodliness, to deny worldly lust. Grace teaches you to live soberly. Grace teaches you to live blameless. When? Not in the good old by and by, in this present age, in this present world. You're going to have to learn how to get along with people. And the only way you're going to truly be able to get along with people according to his standard is you treat people according to his word. Now, what his word is going to first do is straighten you up. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you take these logs and beans out of your eyes. Because I know you think you all that. Now, I'm not talking about y'all. I'm talking about those people who are going to join us on the Internet later. Now, his word is going to straighten us up first. And then once we get straightened up, then we can help other people straighten up. Those who are willing. Some folks won't be. So looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of Elohim, lest any root of bitterness springing up. Now, you know after a while that when you're in the presence of a bitter person, all you got to do is listen to him. Say what? Oh, okay. You're having a conversation over here. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's all right. You can talk to me. I just want to hear what you say. Anyway, there are folks who, if you talk to them for a moment or two, they'll reveal to you what's in them. If they're bitter, if they're angry, if they've got some unresolved issues. And then if they don't deal with it because they're defiled, they're going to defile people. And then look at what he says. He says, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. This is why we have to deal with issues. And this is why we have to instruct people to follow the pattern Yeshua command. Verse 18. Verily I say unto you, whosoever, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So now he connects us back to chapter 16, but look at the context. You've just had a trial. You've just had a situation to where a person had an issue with the person. They went to try to resolve that issue. It didn't work. They took it to the next step. The issue still wasn't resolved. Now, the issue has been brought before the assembly. It's no longer that person or the two witnesses that's doing the judgment. Guess who's doing the judgment? Who's doing the judging now? The assembly. The assembly is doing the judging. Paul writes, said, listen, brothers and sisters, you're going to be judging angels. Now, you won't be judging the angels that didn't fall. You're going to be judging them other angels, the one that failed. But you're going to be judging angels 
And then he says, listen, you should, the least, the, the least likely person in the body of Messiah should be able to be selected to judge a matter. It doesn't have to be some great wise person. It could be the least person because if they, the most unlearned person, it's not about your knowledge and your wisdom, it's about following the protocol of his word. If you follow the protocol of his word, you don't have to inject your nonsense or your lack of sense or your common sense. You just follow his instructions. Here's the issue. Here's the matter. This is true. That's false. Well, that's an easy judgment. The inquisition has taken place. The investigations have taken place. We've concluded the matter. And this person now, you know, they're not repentant. They're unrepentant, defiant in their behavior in front of the judge, which is you. And you see that defiance and you render a judgment. That's on us. It's not on the elders. It's not on the deacons and the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's on the assembly. We all are supposed to be the judges. He says, once you've made a verdict, once you've rendered a verdict, then that which you just did is bound. The verdict holds in the earth and it's going to hold in heaven. The Almighty says, you stood on my word, I'm standing behind your verdict. You now have just rendered a righteous verdict, and it's bound. So that person can cry all they want to up to heaven. But the situation has already been judged. And now, until they repent, come to their senses, then that's their situation. Again, he connects chapter 16 concerning the keys when he said, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. See, part of the keys of the kingdom is righteous judgment as an assembly. But if you're going to do righteous judgment, you got to judge by that which is righteous. And other cases has nothing to do with this case. You can't be dragging all that other stuff into this. If it's not relevant to the matter at hand, it has to stay outside the court room. It has nothing to do with this trial. You take that up, you know, in, at a different time. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on, eat on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now I'm about to step on some toes. The word touching in this passage has been used in grave error amongst religious people because they assume and insert the English definition of touching to the Greek word in this passage. Why do you think people join hands to pray? They touch in an agreement. This passage got nothing to do with that. But that's how they interpret it. Now they got prayer chains, prayer circles. And everybody's coming together. I remember one time, man, fella squeezed, squeezed my hand so, so hard, almost made me cuss. I'm in church in a prayer circle, and you're squeezing my hand. Man, you better let my hand go before I go upside your head. You ain't got no business squeezing my hand that hard. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever had your hand squeezed? And then they get, they get caught up in the spirit and just, yeah! And you're looking like this. Try 
trying to endure because you don't want to break, you don't want to, you don't want to break the anointing. This is why many join hands that should be hands when they pray. They believe they have to physically touch one another to fulfill this verse. Televangelists have had people touch the, you know, now I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, you know. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've touched the screen a time or two. Because I didn't know no better. I was operating under that understanding. Yes, I'm, I'm with you, sir. I'm, I, oh, I'm, yes, sir. Praise him. I've even had people touch the screen. So now, you know, when you get into this, Prayer circles and prayer chains. Where did the idea of prayer chains come from? It came out of these prayer circles. And you know, when you think about it, when you think about it, the mindset behind it is really steeped in witchcraft. Because here's the thing. If we get enough people bombarding heaven, God has to hear us. All we got to do is get a whole, another, we want to establish a prayer chain around the world. How can he not hear that? This is not how the almighty, he says, listen, if you pray, whatever you pray, believe you have it and you shall have it. How many people do I have to get in agreement with on that? If I'm asking for him, if I'm asking him to do something for me, and I know that it is within his will because I'm, I'm walking, I can tell you. I can't obligate him to do anything he hasn't already obligated himself to do. He's obligated to his word. He said that this is the only thing that will not return to him void. He says when it goes out, it's going to accomplish what he says. So what I need to do is get in here and pray accordingly because now I'm in agreement with him. And when I come in agreement with him, I'm not trying to get him to come in agreement with, with me. I'm just simply saying, Father, you said. You said. Well, does that discount prayer chains? It's like, where did it come from? Why do you feel you got to get a whole lot of people praying for you? Where is that established that in the Bible? Because now you're dealing with extra biblical material. This is where a lot of teachings come in. And when you really think about it, as I'm asking this question, I'm looking for origins. And, you know, there's a, an origin in the Talmud about a guy named Honey who drew a circle and stood in the midst of it and put a demand on God and told God he wasn't moving until he did what he said. Now, that's the first prayer circle. But when you think about a prayer circle, you ain't thinking about that kind of prayer circle. You're thinking about joining hands in a circle in the church basement or joining hands together. Come on, y'all, let's pray for the let's pray for the city. And you see these folks joining hands and it's like, why are they joining hands? Because that's what they've been taught to do. You know, Christians ain't the only ones who join hand and pray. Don't get mad at me. The word touching here means concerning. As concerning an issue or on account of or because of not touching, touching. When you come in agreement concerning a matter, 
concerning a matter. This whole idea of investigating an issue, two or three witnesses coming together, it being upheld in heaven, you're all in agreement. You've tried it, you've proven it, and here's the verdict. You're in agreement. How can you be in agreement with somebody and you don't even know what y'all are agreeing on? Hey, brother, I need you to come in agreement with me that the Almighty will, will, will do this for me. It's like, really? I mean, I, I can do that, but let's, and I have done that, and we'll, when it comes down to really, if there's a serious issue, you know, some of you all may have asked me for prayer, and there's something in me that says, you know, you need to do a little inquiry here. You need to do a little inquiry because some of the things that you are asked, you could possibly be asking for prayer with a simple adjustment. Just another way of, of looking at something. You know, if I'm praying, you know, because you're dealing with inflammation. You want father to deal with the inflammation that you're experiencing. Well, are you assessing yourself to see if there's something that you're putting in you that is causing the inflammation? Because see, the issue may not necessarily be about praying about the inflammation. The issue may be simply eliminating something out of your diet that is not agreeing with you. There's some things that may be able to be corrected simply by some counsel. And if the counsel is correcting the issue, because even if we pray, and you'll notice that sometimes you pray for folks and they don't, they don't see the manifestation. And it's not that the Almighty is not hearing. There could be some other issues that are at play that we're not aware of. And once you do the inquisition and the investigation, then you may say, hey, this may be your issue. Now it's a matter of correction and nobody really liked being corrected, but I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters, father has an order in everything he do for a reason. He has a husband order, a wife order, sons and daughter order. And amongst the children, firstborn order, second, third, fourth, fifth born as it relates to the scriptures, especially when it comes down to what is being termed as a Leverite marriage to where if the woman marries a, a man and he dies and don't get a child, then now you got to go through this order. I mean, father has a reason for everything that he does, we may not fully understand, but you know what? Everything he wants us to understand, he manifested to us. Some things it's like the parents used to say, because I said so. That's the only thing you need to know is I said it now do it. Verse 20. Let me, let me speed this thing up for where two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am. I in the midst of them. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, Lord, oh Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. 
Yeshua said unto him, I say not unto these until seven times, but until 70 times seven. And Luke puts it this way. And, and this picks up on the other issue about, you know, going to your brother. He says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother, verse three, trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if you repent, forgive him. You see, repentance precedes forgiveness. And if he trespass against thee, notice what Yeshua says, seven times in a day and seven times in a day, turn again to thee. So what is he saying? He sins against you and then he turns and then he turn around and sin again. And then he turns, he repents and then he turn around and sin again. And then he repent. He says, if he trespass against thee seven times in a day and seven times, not six, not five and seven times in a day, turn again to thee saying, I repent. You are obligated to forgive him. And the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. It's like, man, you know what? <laughs> I, I, won't need, I won't need more faith that I have to deal with this issue. Because <laughs> uh, I ain't there yet. But I'm sure with your help, <laughs> I'll get there. Verse 23. Then he goes into, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents, a talent, brothers and sisters, according to everything that I looked at, it equals to about a hundred pounds of gold. I think it's no silver weighed about a hundred pounds, 45 kilograms, a talent of gold in Israel weighed about 200 pounds, 91. And so when you talk about all of these talents, what did he say? 10,000 talents. That was the equivalence of millions of dollars. So the, the, the master calls him and says, you know, it's time for you to, you know, I'm calling in the loan or I'm calling in the debt. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. Now, remember when we did um, the Hebrew slaves? See, one of the things that could be done to a person. Now, remember when father brought Israel out of Egypt, he told all of them, to borrow from their neighbor, silver, gold, all types of items. Then he brings them into a land and he gives every family a plot of land within the tribal boundaries. No one was lacking. A family of five got a piece of land that was equivalent to the family of five. A family of four got a piece of land that was equivalent to the family of four. Everybody was given equal share. Everybody had the responsibility of working their land. So there was no poor among them. According to Proverbs, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands in poverty will overtake you like an armed bandit. The way poverty came upon these individuals that the almighty had established all on equal footing is they stopped working. They stopped working the land. If a man don't work, hunger 
has a way of ministering to you. It does. Man, your stomach start talking. Say, hey, <laughs> you having a conversation with your stomach and everybody in the room hear it. <laughs> Y'all hear that? Oh, yeah, we heard that, bruh. Tone it down some. Well, man, I ain't ate in a few days. Well, why haven't you eaten? Well, I haven't had any food. Well, why? Ain't you? It's not like you were fasting on purpose. Why ain't you got food? See, when you start inquiring, you come to realize, well, you know, I had that job, but I didn't like the way they was running it, so I quit. Oh, so you quit the job. Now, when you quit the job, did you, did you know that if you didn't have money to buy food, then your life would not necessarily be sustained? Are you looking for somebody else to take care of you? You got your eyes on somebody? Well, yeah. <laughs> somebody will take me in. It's like, really? They may take you in, but after a while, they're going to get tired of you. Because no grown person wants to take care of another grown person. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You'll tolerate it if you the mama. See, mama got a lot more tolerance for that child than the daddy do. Daddy said, listen, man, I'm not taking care of no grown man. I know I'm talking to a few people. So let me move it on. So his Lord commanded him to be what? Sold. And his wife. Now, who's teaching this parable? Yeshua. He's talking about it. He says, notice, he says, the kingdom of heaven is likened. The kingdom of heaven is likened. He's given a comparison to what the kingdom of heaven is like. Because ultimately, he's going to connect this to the father. And he says, listen, he called him in. He says, listen, the guy, before as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. And his wife and children. And all that he had and payment to be made. So the whole family got sold. So I'm going to sell everybody. And that was the circumstance according to the law. Because if a person stopped working, if the land and then next thing, how, do, how does a person who has equal footings with his neighbor becomes poor? Selling someone as a slave to pay off a debt is found in the Torah. And again, we touched on this from the teaching in the, of the Torah when we taught on Hebrew slaves. In Exodus 21, 2, it says, if thou buy a Hebrew servant, why would you be buying a Hebrew servant? Because he for sale. Well, why is he for sale? Somebody sold him. Or he sold himself. Some happened. Six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. And if thy brother, Leviticus 25, 39, now this is in the Torah. Yeshua's teaching, he's pulling the kingdom of heaven, and he's talking to these individuals who understand Torah, so they know what he's talking about. And if your brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor and be sold unto you, Thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bondservant. So what was happening is that mom and dad, you know, for whatever reason, they, you know, it could have been for a variety of reasons. Because sometimes, you know, things happen. Circumstances change. And now dad is looking around. He's got two sons. Boy, I'm going to pawn you off. Now you, you need to look out for the whole family. Now, you may not think about this, but see, this kind of stuff goes on in a different way in today's world. Here's how it happens. 
A person from Haiti who lives in poverty, the family raised enough money so that they can come to the United States, get an education, get a job. What's their responsibility? Send money back. This is happening all around the country, all around the world. You see people living in countries. Now, this shows up a lot more in Asian countries when you see non-Asians than it does in many other countries where you have distinction. Like in Ireland, if a person goes to Ireland where majority of the people have a certain color hair and somebody comes in there and they don't have that certain color hair or they black, you know, it's like they out of place. They don't belong here or why they're here. Well, you know, they are looking, the person that you see represents a family. They're working and doing what? Sending money back. Those of you remember, even in this country, when the whole idea of building a wall and the projection was, is that, listen, there are a lot of, of Hispanics. There are a lot of South American people who have come into this country. And what we will do is what? We will take the monies that they are sending back to their countries and use these monies to build the wall. Now, some of y'all heard that, but many of you may not have heard it. You see, that was the first proposal, so it wasn't going to cost anybody American for the wall. Well, it didn't work out that way, did it? Next thing you know, taxpayers are footing the bill. In fact, this whole COVID-19 thing, guess who's paying for this? The government don't have a job. Their job is to tax us. And when you look at the breakdown, 50% of the federal government budget comes from personal income tax. 30 to 35% of the federal government budget comes from Social Security tax. About 7 to 8% of the federal government budget comes from employment tax. Business tax, excise tax, it's all tax. When you look at 300 and some million people that they're talking about injecting some vaccine, one and two doses and then booster shots, and you calculate those at 30 to $35 a shot, you don't hear about the money the pharmaceutical company, the great men of the earth is making. You're just getting a free shot. No, you're not. It ain't free. It ain't free. You're just ignorant to how it works. Don't be ignorant, brethren. Lest you fall in that trap of patriotism and that religion that worships your nation and its leaders and your established laws while ignoring the laws of the creator of the universe. And you got all these people running around here talking about it's safe, it's safe, it's safe. Really? And what data do you have to show for that? What long-term data do you have? There is none. Then how can you be saying it's safe? Who told you that? Where did that come from? Oh, you believe those people. Well, they're the professionals. They're the experts. I was taught in my first church that an expert is somebody from out of town. You just don't know them. 
Then he, you know, the prophet, because this is one of those famous stories. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear Jehovah, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. The prophet told him, says, go and get these jars, borrow these jars. We're going we're gonna to get some money into your house so your sons are not sold for slaves to pay off the debt of your, of your husband. It's, a, it's biblical. So when Yeshua is talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's saying, listen, the kingdom of heaven is like the Torah. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, who governs the kingdom of heaven? The one who gave the Torah. Is there another set of laws that he governs the kingdom of heaven by other than the laws that he gave? Nope. Verse 26, let me rush. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him his debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, about a thousand, a few thousand dollars. And, and laid hands on him, and, and then notice what he did. He took him by the throat. Now, this is a violent demand. This didn't come and say, pay me all that you owe me. He grabbed this person by the throat, according to Yeshua's teaching here. And that pence, you know, it, it equates to a few thousand dollars, a few hundred pence, few thousand dollars compared to the millions of dollars. See, the person who had been forgiven for a lot would not forgive the person for a little. See, still carrying that whole thought of forgiveness is really what he's dealing with. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison, into prison, till he should pay the debt. He's throwing him in prison. How do you pay a debt in prison? You know how? The wife now got to gather some money to get her husband out. The children got to do something to help their daddy get out of, out of prison. In some worlds, in some states, they call it bail. But the bail doesn't necessarily cover the debt. It just frees them so they can get out and work. <laughs> if they work. Person gets redeemed. It's a cruel system. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that, he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on your fellow servant? Even as I had pity on thee? Because see, what Yeshua is doing here is that he's using the parable to speak to his disciples about forgiveness. So let me teach you a lesson. Learn from this. Learn from this. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. The tormentors here are the ones who, see, this is a torturer. He's not just in, in jail, in prison, like, you know, was threatened uh, the other was threatened to be, be sold and then threatened prison. He's turning him over to the tormentor, which means this is a part of the prison to where now you own a workforce. You, you probably got lashes and beatings and those kinds of things. Kind of remind you 
in a sense of what Yeshua would talk about, you know, the weeping and gnashing of teeth that would be outside of the kingdom. Those who will be cast into that, that lake of fire where they'll be tormented. Because really what he's getting at, he says, so likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you. If you from your hearts forgive not everyone, his brother, their, their trespasses. But now he's already laid the foundation for trespassing forgiveness. What is that? Repentance. If they come to you and acknowledge, forgive them. What if they don't? The opposite is true. How can you forgive somebody who doesn't recognize they're wrong? So in this statement, Yeshua connects back to the prayer because what he's doing now is he's reminding them of things that he had taught them. In chapter six, he says to them and forgive us our debts. When you pray, you pray, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then in Mark, Yeshua says this. And when you stand praying, forgive. See, this goes to the heart. I've been in places where folks, man, they can't stand the person over there. And here they are praying and praising and, and, and weeping. Oh, God, I love you with all my heart, all my heart, all my heart. God, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. You know, speaking in tongues. And you got an issue. You think father is blind? You know, he says, listen, if, you, if you're going to come to the altar, and, you know, he wasn't talking about the church altar. But if you present your gift to the altar and they remind you, remember your brother has an altar against you, leave your gift at the altar and go what? Be reconciled. Then come back and present your gift. What is he saying? Don't come in my presence with that mess in your heart expecting everything is all right with you and I. You might be a fake, but I don't play it like that. I hope y'all hearing me. Because, see, I'm not only trying to free you, but I'm really trying to show you how to free other people. We got to stop sweeping things under the rug, acting like it doesn't exist. I know our desire and hunger to be liked and appreciated and accepted, but I would much rather like having right relationship trustworthy relationship, even if it's a few, than a whole bunch of folks. See, that's that Facebook kind of relationship. Got a lot of friends, and they like and share and love, sometimes even before they read your stuff. It's like, how can you show? I just posted that, and, you know, somebody liked it already. I hope you read it. But I see stuff, it's like, how can they like that? Anyway, he says, but if you do not forgive, but if you do not forgive, see, your forgiveness, your eternal life is dependent on your ability to forgive others. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. You see, we don't have a choice in the matter. We have to forgive. But there's a process. We have to follow the protocol. Amen? Now, at the end of this year, in the beginning of next year, we're going to enter into the Shemitah year. And that is the year of release. The Shemitah year is a year. See, Father has built into His law to where every seven years, you have to release people from their debt. Remember what we read about in Exodus chapter 21, Hebrew slaves? 
How long could you keep a slave? Seven years. I'm sorry, six years. The seventh year, you got to release them. In the seventh year, the land rests. In the seventh year, you have to release debt from those who are your brothers. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.